Welcome to Mathematips, the monthly podcast for all mathematypes, where we deep dive into the reservoir of maths education research and hunt for possible pearls of classroom practice. I'm your host, Lucy Rycroft-Smith, and today I'm really pleased to welcome a very special guest, Professor Dame Celia Hoyles. Is that enough titles? Have I missed anything? Is it Queen, Your Majesty, as well? No. <laughs> <laughs> sir, I can't like to call you Sir. I feel yeah. like I should. <laughs> um, so, Celia, I'm going to just, if I may call you Celia, of course. <laughs> yeah. just going to say a few things um, about your bio for, few, for the teachers listening who may not know some of these things about you. Um, so, you are currently Professor of Maths Education at the UCL Institute of Education, is that correct? Correct, yeah. Uh, you were President of the Institute of Mathematics and its Applications, which we can talk about later. Um, you were also a Government Chief of Advisor for Mathematics and Director of the National Centre for Excellence in the Teaching of Maths. Also correct? That's correct. Good, not yes. too bad so far <laughs> then. Um, so you've also been awarded quite a few different lovely accolades, including the first Hans Freudenthal Medal and the Kavli Education Medal, which I think was also the first time that was awarded. Is that correct? That is correct. All yeah. of these for recognition of your outstanding contribution to research in maths education. Goodness me. Anything I've missed that's really important? No, I'm sure you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you are uh, a really big name in maths education. I'm so excited that you're here, but very specifically in the area of technology in maths education, as well as many other things. Um, and so today we're going to be talking about something which I've, I've really been reading about and it's intrigued me a great deal. So the idea of micro worlds. Mm -hmm. Very excited to talk to you about that today. So my first question, as always, with everybody on the podcast, is what is something that people might not know about you? Well, I suspect there's a lot they don't <laughs> know about me. I hope so, in fact. I suspect also they don't know how old I am. I've been around a long while. Yes. So you very kindly said I've had a lot of awards, but I've been working in this area for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, but the one thing uh, I suppose has been a passion all the time is not technology, actually. It's to try and make mathematics more interesting, more relevant, more meaningful to learners of all sorts and that has been uh, something I've tried to do over many years and something I think with digital tools we can get a little bit nearer to a successful um, outcome. Mm, well that's really exciting and is that something that you think has changed in your time working in maths education? Do you feel like we're a little bit nearer to accomplishing that goal? It's very patchy. Mm. I mean I think uh, if we come to talk about microworlds later, I think there's a lot of potential, wonderful computational tools that you can explore mathematical ideas that I'm sure you know and I'm sure you use. Uh, I, so on the one side, yes, and with the web, we can exploit connectivity, we can be more collaborative with uh, students in other schools, in other countries even. Uh, but. I think there's still some way to go to get this embedded in practice because all these things do need time and need conviction amongst our community that they're worth it. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about micro worlds. Let's start with trying to define, I'm sure you can be more successful than my research yeah. threw up, what exactly a micro world is and why you think it's important in digital yeah. technology and maths education? Well, a micro really, really is a sort of playful area where you can play with the mind and play, and there'll be tools that help you play. I mean, you will all know about manipulatives for young children in primary classrooms where you play with nice shapes or cubes and different colours, and children will play. 
and they will see some results of playing. And if the, the little manipulatives are designed in ways that help them understand whether it's place value or shape, they will just appreciate that. Now, the idea of a microworld is exactly that, except you're adding a bit in that they, these are digital tools, so you get feedback. As well as just seeing what happens, you will get other sorts of feedback. And so, in a way, it's a, it's a designed space where we try and put together tools where you can try them out, click on them, link them with other tools, play about with them, and by playing about, you will see things that you hadn't seen before because it's digital. And also because it's digital, and something I think that's really important in microworld research, which is probably more powerful than your manipulatives uh, in, you know, your concrete manipulatives, if you leave a trace of what you've done. So if you move something or you've done something, you will see what you've done and you will see when you come back later there will be a trace somewhere so you can remember it and reflect on it. That's very interesting. So when you say a trace, what might that look like? Well, I mean, I've done a lot of my microworlds have been devised obviously with colleagues and, and teachers in a programming language so the trace will be your computer program. Okay. So you can take your computer program which now can be visual, a set of uh, um, software blocks if you like mm -hmm. and you can so you can look back on it and replay it in your mind. And we all know in maths that reflection is so important. Yes. So you'll have something on which to reflect yourself or with your teacher or with um, um, other students. Mm. So those familiar with video games might know of the term sandbox. Is yes. it a very similar concept to that? Exactly. Yeah. It is very similar mm -hmm. to sandbox, actually. And I, actually, by the way, I do think uh, programming video games to explore mathematical ideas is another wonderful thing that can be done. I mean, there's so many microworlds that are being built now. When I started, it was in the 80s, and literally there was just a few programming languages around. And so, in fact, I programmed in Logo, which, by the way, is still around. It's, got, <laughs> it's now in Scratch. And the reason why it's still around is it's still wonderful. Yes. It's still wonderful. It's n and it's not by chance it's wonderful. It was designed to really engage learners of all sorts. Excellent. So um, you say that this field, I think, is, is quite new just naturally yeah. because it uses tech that's quite yes. new. Um, what are some of the key words and ideas used around microworlds, specifically in maths education research? Because it isn't specific to maths education, is it? No. No, in fact, you can develop microworlds for music or geography or science, and all of them, are, I think, have a wonderful history. I mean, in terms of tools for maths, I want to give you an example, if I may. Of course. Well, I'll give you two examples. One, I do want to go back to the logo turtle. I think if you have never used or driven a robot using the commands forward and turn and exploring uh, Euclidean shapes and seeing the joy when you make a mistake and how it, then you can make a square and a triangle or make rows of them. It is something that is truly engaging. And that is a micro world where you can explore Euclidean geometry. Well, you, most people don't get very far with it, but it's possible. So that's one micro world. Another micro world, which I think I really has had a long history, is where you can explore the dynamics of change. And it was originally uh, written in a, a software called SimCalc and you develop, you can explore linear functions, you look at the gradient, but you can see it. You can see what happens if you make that straight line steeper. And you can see the implications on the graph, 
or on the um, table of values or even the algebra. Because that's another important thing for mathematical microworlds is you have links representations because mathematics has to be represented and so you have an algebraic representation or a graphical representation or a tabular representation and it's you have the possibility of linking those representations and playing with them and seeing what happens if you move one what happens to the other so would you say that um, students having their own agency and the ability to be creative is important here too. Oh, it's absolutely important. That's really, I mean, this is why we always write that it's an emotional place as well. Because yes. it's a time when you actually feel that you can try something out. You can find it's not as you anticipated, because you always want to try and, an, try and anticipate what will happen. And then, but you can look at the um, uh, feedback and you can debug it. And debugging is crucial. So you can say, okay, I can do something about this. You're not left just saying, asking the teacher to tell you how to do it. You can work it out a bit from yourselves. And while I mentioned the teacher, I think over the many years that uh, we've been developing microworlds, we and many other people throughout the world, I might say, I think to begin with, we underestimated the importance of the role of the teacher. Because mm. although by the students or the learners, Playing in this micro world can make discoveries and can discuss amongst themselves and try and come to some conclusion about what the mathematical ideas are. The teacher really does have a role to nudge them in the right direction, say, have you thought about that? All the things that you know uh, really good maths teachers will do automatically. It's not a matter of just leaving students just to play. They must play in a very purposeful way and a teacher is there to encourage them and to point out why haven't you tried this and to elaborate um, different aspects. So as a math teacher listening to you that makes me very excited to think mm. about the potential of what you're describing there but also slightly worried because mm -hmm. as you're describing the ability of students to work with coding for example that makes me worried that I don't have those skills yet and that it would take a long time for me to develop them and that students essentially would end up teaching me. Um, how does this sort of interplay with the idea of students learning maths through technology? I think that's a really good question. I think uh, I, have, I have taught, and I have taught with technology, and I still do at undergraduate level. And clearly, you have to, in some ways, get yourself prepared as a teacher. Mm. I'm not sure it takes for the sorts of coding or programming I'm doing. I don't think it takes very long, but it has... It does require finite time, mm. but this is why in all the work that we do and everybody else, we devise not only the digital tools, but we devise some activities. And we also always say that you need professional development and you need time for the teachers who, who are working with this to have a go themselves mm. so that they feel reasonably confident. Uh, that they understand why you're doing it. It's not that they will understand everything. But I really believe that you can never understand everything in maths anyway, can you, Lucy? And so you nearly, you've really got to sort of explore a bit. So we've got to allow ourselves to explore. And when our students come up with ideas we haven't thought about, sometimes we have to say, well, I really need to think about this more. And it's the same with technology. Mm -hmm. if, if somebody has come up with a wonderful program and they're sharing it with you or with others, 
And sometimes you think, well, I'm not quite sure if that's right. I think that's okay. Yeah. I think that's okay. And it's wonderfully empowering the students if they are right and you're not. <laughs> of course, yes. So you mentioned the word emotional a mm. little while ago. And one of the uh, favourite bits for me of the paper that we're talking about today, so it's, it's a 2018 paper called Transforming the Mathematical Practices of Learners and Teachers Through Digital Technology. And a quote which absolutely leapt out at me. I thought this was a beautiful piece of writing. Um, you said that a successful microworld is both an epistemological and an emotional universe, a place where powerful mathematical but also scientific, musical or artistic ideas can be explored. That's really lovely, <laughs> very poetic. <laughs> so can you tell, tell me a little bit more about that? So you talked about specifically a successful microworld there. What might an unsuccessful one look like, for example? Well, I suppose an unsuccessful one is where you haven't created the tools very well yes. or that they actually don't enjoy what they're doing. And But in a way, that's why it has to be, in a way, a secure environment where you hope you, a teacher would encourage you to have a go. Mm. Because sometimes uh, students don't wish to have a go, let's face it. Mm. Some students really feel nervous. I must say something about the emotion. It relates to your first question about... Um, uh, what people might not know about me, but my original research for my PhD was not about digital technologies at all. It was about attitude to mathematics, mm -hmm. emotions, and maths anxiety even. And uh, I haven't really done any research in it much since then, but there is now a maths anxiety trust, and I do support it, and I do think that there is something that's around still. and. I, why I did this research was I was shocked how, how some students, adults even, are quite phobic about maths. Mm. And, and for some people, maybe, dare I say us, you know, we are relatively confident in our subject. The fact that these students who I was studying in my research, PhD, were chatter, some of them were fearful to the point of, as I said, they couldn't think. And I think that's still going on. And I still, and I do think that using digital technologies can help. That's why I got into it, because I thought you can try something in the relative safety of have a go, you will get feedback, because mm. let's face it, digital technologies is interactive. You will get feedback and you can then puzzle as to why the feedback wasn't quite what you expected and it didn't come out exactly right, whether it's a calculation or whether it's a geometry figure or whether it's working out the gradient of a straight line. But you can get that feedback and puzzle yourself without making yourself look a complete idiot in front of the rest of the class. So I think there's something powerful about that too. And I think it's particularly in mathematics where there is still this um, possible phobic reactions because it's so high stakes and we all hate to look so silly. Yes, I very much recognise that. <laughs> do, you, know. do you feel like the ability to play in these sorts of micro-worlds would have changed your mathematics education? Had you the opportunity to, to do so? Oh, I think... Well, I hope so. I hope <laughs> so. I mean, I was a good girl yes. uh, when I studied maths and I did <laughs> a lots of playing around. I did lots of trying things out. And I did like to uh, get there in the end and understand it. And this is something else I want to say about microworlds, is you have to keep persisting in maths. You know this only too well, until you understand why you're doing it. Mm. Because otherwise, what is the point of keep doing all this stuff? I know you have to practice. I know we have to be fluent. 
but we also have to have a little bit idea why we're doing it. And I think I was a good girl, and I can continued persisting until I got the, got it. But I think if I'd been working in a micromile, I might have understood better mm. what the structure of maths was about, and some see some of these key relationships. Um, and so I think I'd have maybe I've enjoyed it more. I did enjoy my maths. I was lucky. That <laughs> yes. I was quite successful, and I had very good teachers. But. Uh, <laughs> So you've also said in the paper uh, that a micro world is a place where it's safe to make mistakes and show ignorance. Yes. Um, so could or should every maths classroom be or contain a micro world? That's oh, I don't see why question. not. I mean, if the, <laughs> let's face it, it's up to the teachers. I mean, now, as I said in the early days, there weren't that many micro worlds around. There are now micro worlds in so many different areas. Mm. As I said, the dynamics have changed. There's a wonderful net logo where you can explore. If you go on the site, you can see, I mean, literally dozens of micro worlds to explore different ideas. There's the ones that we've done uh, in Scratch Maths for young people where you can explore not only polygons and geometry but you can also explore coordinates and variables and we've got all the activities there but what I would really think the most important thing is our teachers who are very professional that they have a play and they decide it's something out of all these possibilities that they can see they would like to do because there's absolutely no point in saying you have to do X, Y, Z it's just another duty that people have to do and if you really think as a teacher and I really think you should try some of these things that it can be so enjoyable and the kids will really love that bit of mathematics I'll give you an example an example from scratch maths and I know it works in quotes because I've seen it over so many classrooms scratch maths all the available is free online by the way uh, it's, you can develop a micro world about coordinates and shapes and it ends up with a project about fireworks and so you can develop fireworks you have to have those fireworks that are exploding in the sky so you have to know a little bit about coordinate geometry Yes. and the fireworks are all different colours so you have to change the pen colour and the fireworks are all different shapes and they can be stars or they can be pentagons or whatever so you can make your firework display different ways and every time I do it it causes such you know it is an emotional environment because you want to share your particular firework display with other people yes what a lovely creative application of, of yes and it's relatively simple honestly yeah. <laughs> I believe you <laughs> okay so um, I wondered how uh, a micro world would relate to the idea of a, a black box because yeah. again teachers might be familiar with that concept mm. um, or they might not so perhaps if you could just explain what that means and how the two might be related. Yeah I mean in a way the, a micro world is a bit of a the converse of a black box. Mm. A black box so much of software I mean it has to inevitably we can't all look back at the the original code in which it was built but often a lot of applications you can't look into it and see how it worked mm. at all. You just press a button and out will pop the answer. Yes. And I think the idea of a mic world is you just open that box a bit. And so you can see, okay, we have that answer because there's these different programs doing different things. And I'll give you an example. Uh, one of the micro worlds we developed um, was actually about maths in work. And it was about statistical process control. Now, mm -hmm. most maths teachers don't know about this. I don't understand why, really. I don't know about it. Do yeah, tell well, me. <laughs> well, you could look, read a bit in the paper, I guess. But it's um, if you go into any factory that manufactures goods, mm -hmm. they have 
to have t statistical process control, whereby the objects that come out at the end of the, the factory line has to uh, fulfil certain criteria. So if you're in a bag of you're buying a bag of crisps, for example, that bag of crisps, its weight has to be more than a certain thing. It mm -hmm. can't be exactly an amount, but it has to be within a boundary of it. And what it is, that's what statistical process control is to make sure that uh, the object coming out is in actually within plus or minus two standard deviations from the norm. I see. Yeah. And you can actually, we made a little microwave for that because you didn't want to start doing formula for standard deviation. Now, you probably know what the formula is, but most people on the shop floor in factories don't know what the formula mm -hmm. is and why should they anyway. But the idea of plus or minus two standard deviations, that visual representation of the bell-shaped curve, is something that you can actually grasp. Mm. And you could try it out and see that where your objects lie within those limits so it's the it just makes it just more concrete yes. than a formula. Now you and I know that algebra is the most important thing in in maths, but it's a <laughs> bit static. Yes. A lot of people have no idea what those that x's and y means. Mm. So we have to bring it alive a bit. That's a lovely way of describing it. Yeah. So I wondered about this podcast is for teachers of all ages, and I yeah. wondered about very young pupils. Have yeah. you had a chance to look at how they might explore microworlds and what? what they might experience at quite a young age? Well, I think actually <laughs> looking at driving a turtle around or the, or the or I'm sorry to keep going on about that, that is a very young age you can do this. Yeah. And uh, there's no reason why. And robotics is something that's really interesting. And mm. there are lots of devices now where you can drive different objects. You can make Lego objects and you can drive, make those move around. Mm. You can make them have sensors. There's lots of things that, like microworlds, you can do, and you can do them on the screen. I could send you links of some new stuff, actually, but you can also do them. I think for little, really little children, mm -hmm. it's probably nice to have something where they have something going around the floor, mm. so they have something that it just is such a joy to do it. I mean, I've done it all over the world. I have done still doing logo stuff where you get your object, whether it's a turtle or whether it's a Lego object, and you get it to move about and do things and make shapes and repeat the shape all over the place. And it, everybody loves it. <laughs> and your little kids will love it. And they are beginning to code. And they're beginning to program. That's a wonderful mm. reminder. Thank you. I'd forgotten mm. how much I love Lego. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then... How might, I guess, the use of a, a mathematical or a technological microworld benefit an adult? So imagine that I'm coming into this quite late and perhaps mm. I do have this maths phobia or I'm, I'm very worried. So you talked a little bit about a specific workplace mm. um, design that you built. It, do you think there's a lot of applications there for adults who might be a bit more worried about mathematics? Mm, I think I haven't worked on any particularly but I am absolutely sure that you could do something very simple mm. with uh, number patterns, for example. Yes. And just simple things, you know, where you're adding, subtracting, multiplying, dividing, but you are doing it yourself. Yes. You are seeing how these things combine. You could explore the distributive law, but instead of trying to remember it and getting it wrong, or, you know, when you're multiplying out brackets, where do you play with it? And then you suddenly see how the numbers can come alive. So I think there's lots that can be done. That's the same thing. You could, you could do it with a calculator or a spreadsheet or a particular microworld looking at numbers. And I just think that's something 
that we could explore with others as well. Mm. I do want to make sure that it's not just a lonely world uh, with a tutor, you know, telling you what to do. It's, you know, you can explore it collaboratively. Wonderful. Okay. Um, so what might be your top tips for teachers if they're listening to this thinking, well, this sounds wonderful and extraordinary, but back in my classroom, you know, with mm. the one computer or the yeah. one booking per week, what can yeah. I do? Where might you advise them to start? Well, actually, it's funny you say that. One computer. I don't quite believe that's the situation. <laughs> Somebody, somebody's going to tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> I remember there was an initiative not so very, well, I don't know, about 15, 20 years ago, where it was allowed one, com one computer co maths classroom. Mm -hmm. That was ages ago, ages ago. I think most classrooms now, people where people have laptops or they will have uh, iPads or they, they will have something that... Uh, uh, but you, you're, I'm sure people will correct me if I'm wrong. But I, I think imagine it's very variable, it's and very that's, variable. that's the issue, isn't it? That some yeah. people have much more access than others, and so it's about trying to make sure that we cater for you know whatever situation people are in, and yes. not leave anybody out. No, just that's they don't so. Have all of the hardware. That is so right. Yeah. Well, I would find uh, probably in your maths department, or if you're, if you're a primary with other subject leads in the area, you know where you think you really want to work an area of maths. So mm -hmm. start with maths. Don't yeah. start with technology. Yes. Don't go out and buy iPads just because it's trendy. Start with an area in maths and then do a little exploration. Ask if there's somebody in your local university or like where, or do a search on it and find out and then have a play. Mm. And then give us the benefit of your feedback. I mean, I know that you can do scratch maths, it's all available, you can look at some of that if you're younger. We've also done cornerstone maths, which is available, that does linear functions and similarity. I mean, there is a lot there, but I'm not here to push my stuff. I'm here to just say, have a think in your department, in your school. If you think you've got the uh, technology, if you think that you, from what I've said and what you said, Lucy, that it's something that interests you, well, I mean, just have a play in your department or in your school mm -hmm. and you'll find other schools that are doing stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know London schools quite well. There are some schools doing absolutely magnificent stuff. Yes. And so just go and have a look. Yeah. Actually, in Scratch Maths, the best way to look at it, we've got some videos. Of, I mean, I know we edit the videos to make it look good, but <laughs> it was a real school, real <laughs> teachers, real you know, kids. And I just think it just... Um, shows some of the joy of it all. Yes, yeah, that's coming across very yeah. evidently from what you're saying. Um, so perhaps um, if these teachers wanted to um, back up these decisions to mm. start to explore the use of technology in this way, um, is there a particular set of research or a particular research you'd advise they look at besides your um, mm. excellent body of research on the subject? Yeah, well, there is a journal, mm -hmm. and I don't know about access of the teachers have to journals, but yes. uh, there is a journal called Digital Experiences in Maths Education, mm -hmm. and it has it is on its pages. There are lots of articles by people all over the world, mm -hmm. uh, you know, about the colour cal calculator and obviously dynamic geometry. Yes. See, dynamic geometry, Lucy, it's got such potential. Yes, it is just wonderful. Yeah. I remember when it started about 25 years ago, but I don't see much of it used. Mm. Do you? No, I'm surprised. Yeah. I'm surprised. It was a part of my PGC training some yeah. 10 years ago, and I haven't seen it explode in the way that I no. might have anticipated. No. So Digital Experience in Mass Education, it was previously a long while ago called the International Journal for Computers in Maths Education. Mm -hmm. And it, it was started by Seymour Papert. If you can mm -hmm. find 
some uh, editions of that journal, yes. you will find so much about how uh, computers are used in mass learning. They had snapshots of teachers writing in um, about how computers are used in mass learning, and there were some lots of wonderful articles. So, would you would you recommend Papert? I would. I mean, if you, <laughs> I mean, I'm a bit of an old fogey, I suppose. But if if you can read Papert's Mindstorms, that'll start you yeah. on the way. And how he fell in love with gears and how he wanted. I mean, it's still a wonderful read. And uh, I mean, we can critique it, but it's probably out there as the best in the field. Wonderful. Thank you. Okay, so we're going to move on to a few questions that have come in from Twitter. Okay. Hope this is okay with you. Of course. Uh, so the first question, which is um, a lovely one, what are some examples of good math software that are also free to use? Because I think that's quite a concern often for teachers yes. that they don't want to invest money um, into software if they aren't you know, necessarily knowing whether it's going to be any good for them or not. Yeah, I mean, I think this is actually a sign of the times mm. that uh, schools will buy textbooks but they won't buy yes, software anymore yeah. and this unsad well I say sadly this is inevitable and I can understand the point and you don't really quite know whether you will use it or mm. whether you like it um, so I think um, if you have any maths experts in your area you ought to find out from them mm -hmm. I mean you we've talked about enrich that's yes. wonderful that's free mm. um, all our stuff scratch maths is free mm -hmm. you just go to the UCL site you'll find it uh, but actually getting resources is obviously an important first step but that's not the end yes you know you've got to work um you know with other, your other teachers your colleagues uh doing your master's degree uh then you can really see how you're going to like it mm. i mean cornerstone maths if you live in london it's all free it's on the uh, london grid for learning yes so you can just download it but i just i just think don't just get the tools, work on it with, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so like a, all the gear but no idea type thing. No, I wouldn't dream of saying that. It's just that yes. you've got to work on it because I do know, um, having just come back from Shanghai where I was giving lectures using digital technology, it's so, it's so stressful um, when you're going into a room and you want them to do a workshop You've got to make sure they can all have a go, otherwise yeah. you are going to look a very stupid person. Yes. And that's what teachers don't want to do. No, of course. <laughs> have you had any major technology fails in your time? I'm sure you have. Are there any that yeah. you, can, you can bring to mind? Actually, I can remember one. It's a long time ago. And uh, a group of us, we were at a conference about, guess what, digital technology. And that's <laughs> yes. how boring. It was wonderful people there. And it was in Canada. And they had the most all almighty thunderstorm. Oh. And there was literally no electricity. It wasn't that you, it wasn't my machine that wasn't working. And so we all had to give our presentations waving our arms around. <laughs> but also in candlelight, because there was no light. Oh, no. <laughs> so I'm not quite sure we were terribly successful, but uh, we have had, oh, I have. I did, I must tell you another time, I went, I think it was to the Philippines. I was doing workshops and I was doing logo mm -hmm. a long time ago and I went into this um, computer lab and they didn't have uh, a graphics card on the machine so mm. I couldn't do turtle geometry. Oh, no. Now those of you who know logo you know you can do logo without its graphical output but it's incredibly hard and I thought what am I going to do? Mm. I've come all this way. Yeah. 
<laughs> I went and sat in the loo and thought, oh, maybe I'll just go home. But <laughs> I think we've all had those moments. <laughs> yeah. In the end, I came out. And I remember it so well because what happened was a lot of people helped me out. Yeah. You know, you always get people in the group yeah. who will help you out. You say, look, I'm going to try this out, type these commands in. And everybody actually wants to have a go. Mm. So just say, well, uh, admit your weakness. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We've got a nice question here. Uh, do you think maths and computer science should be taught together? Well, that's a really good question. Mm. It, I, in some ways, there is an intersection between yes. the two. Yeah. And I, in some ways, I can see that we should exploit that intersection mm. for the benefits of both. That's what we've tried to do in Scratch Maths. Yes. We developed it so it was aligned to the nas national maths curriculum, but also aligned to the computing curriculum. So we try to carve out that intersection of mm. you know the Venn diagram, the bit between. There, that's an ideal world, but you need somebody who's going to teach this. Yes. And is it the maths teacher or is it the comp computing teacher? And obviously they'll have their preferences. And I think in, in Scratch Maths, I think it was divided equally amongst them. Sometimes it was a math specialist, sometimes it was a computing specialist. Ideally, you'd like to have more than one teacher in the school who becomes proficient mm. and they would work together. And wouldn't that be wonderful? Oh, yes. Yeah. I think in some countries, actually, as mentioned, I've just come back from China, they are doing Scratch Maths there. They are replicating the study, mm. and they're doing it in the computing time uh, because they have computing specialists there, and they don't have the high stakes math test, so mm. it's not quite so risky. It's not. A, it's a not a sort of not a very positive reason for doing <laughs> no, it. No. So I think in a way we have to work out our own salvation, yeah. which is the which is mm. the teachers or groups of teachers who really want to take this on board. Mm. I think in France. Computer science is done in maths, mm. if, I'm, if I'm correct. So I think it really varies about what your particular school or nation wants to do. Mm. OK, final question from Twitter. This is quite a large question, and you can blame Andrew Jeffrey for this. Oh. Uh, what <laughs> research exists to show the relative effectiveness of various kinds of technology on attainment and understanding, and what does it conclude? So essentially, sum up your entire career, really, there, I think. Yeah, good old Andrew. <laughs> well, I think... It, Actually, to ask what is the effect on attainment, yes. I would ask every single research project that's involved in Microworld mm -hmm. would have evaluated it. Yes. Now, they would evaluate it in different ways. Mm -hmm. Usually, in uh, because often it's small-scale stuff. It's done by um, you know qualitative studies mm. and interviews with students and teachers, along with task-based interviews. So, mm -hmm. you take some math things, how do you do it? And uh, actually, I'm going to plug a book I wrote with my colleague and husband, Richard Noss, a long time ago. It's called <laughs> Windows on Mathematical Meanings. We actually describe in that various micro-worlds we devised. And we also tested uh, through task-based interviews about ratio and proportion. Mm. So in those particular scenarios, we could show, actually look up the chapter in the book. It says pre, post, it does all that, and it yes. shows that the students in the intervention group did better. So I think whether you it, this would satisfy Andrew, yeah. Andrew <laughs> I'm not sure, because these are obviously small-scale studies. I mean, if we must do more, 
uh, in terms of trying to evaluate in, mm -hmm. a, in a broader group. But ultimately, and this is going to sound like an excuse and I don't want it to, ultimately the success of a micro world will depend on how the teacher has introduced it mm. and the sorts of, um, so not only the tools, but how the teachers encourage the students to reflect, how they've encouraged them to make links, how they've encouraged them even to use the tools. Yes. So it's not, it's not going to be teacher-proof ever. No. So this will make a difference, actually, in mm. terms of larger-scale studies. Wonderful, thank you. Okay, so we are coming to the end, and uh, one thing you already mentioned was uh, the idea that you may wish to plug a few things. Mm. So this is your time. Uh, if you'd like teachers to go away and have a look at anything, um, mm. please do tell them where to go and where to find these materials or anything else you'd like them to have a look at. Well, actually, there's so much. Go for and it. I, I mean, I would say Enrich is a wonderful resource. It is. I would say that Cornerstone Maths is a wonderful resource. That's something that we've developed in in London and uh, with uh, some Americans at Stanford Research Institute. Yes, where but can teachers find Cornerstone? Well, you have to be in London to get it free at the okay. moment. But you go to London Grid for Learning and yes. you'll find it. Mm -hmm. And I do rather like Scratch Maths. Yes. So I will <laughs> give you the uh, URL. You go to http uh, colon slash slash www.ucl.ac.uk forward um, Scratch Maths. Yes. And you, all the materials are there for uh, three uh, six modules altogether, and therefore the top juniors. But I actually think you could take one of those modules and do it for younger kids, mm. or for even for your adults. Yes. I mean, just have a look. There's place value, there's coordinates, there's geometry. And so I think we would be delighted to hear how you get on. Yes, that sounds good. Anything else you'd like to plug while we're here? I don't think so. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> uh, so I'll take this opportunity, as always, to plug our Cambridge Mathematics Espressos, which are <laughs> short research summaries for teachers based on two pages on a particular research question. You can find those on our website. And our uh, blog, which is called Mathematical Salad, again at cambridgemaths.org, which has recently come up for a UK Blog Awards. We're very delighted about that. Oh, congratulations. Catherine. Thank you very much. Um, and please do tweet us. We'd love to hear from you. So the very final section, Celia, is where I read you a few jokes um, <laughs> about, <laughs> about the topic of the podcast, which is something of a challenge this time. Uh, I will say so. So a few jokes. Feel free to groan and or laugh. So the first one, uh, a student is sitting in front of a computer in maths class, counting on their fingers. James, what are you doing? Asked the teacher. Exactly what you told me, miss. I'm exploring the problem digitally. <laughs> that is good. Thank you. Uh, did you hear about the statistics student who turned down an audience with psychic Sally to spend time in a micro world? She preferred predictions from a digital medium. <laughs> Uh, what's the difference between a micro world and a plane crash? Only know. one of them destroys the black box. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, two mathematicians walk into a micro world. One says, does it seem warm in here to you? The other replies, no, that's a microwave. <laughs> I have to give you a joke. Yes, please do. As you were telling me, Lucy, it came back to me a wonderful joke that was told me by a wonderful maths education researcher called Gérard Vergniaud mm -hmm. from France. And he had been to... I think to Russia. Ages ago, this is where they had a computer lab with um, actually desktop computers. Mm -hmm. 
and this was a micro world and what the kids were doing they were counting the computers so, so we have three computers there and we have four computers there and how many computers are there all together there were seven computers and that was their use of computers in that micro world and I thought it was rather funny <laughs> at the time <laughs> Wonderful, well thank you so much Sue. it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast um, anyone who's listening please do tweet us you can use the hashtag mathematips or mathematypes, send us your questions your jokes, any responses and if you have tried any of the materials that Celia's mentioned today, please let us know how it's gone. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Goodbye.